Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You're listening to Over the Top Cycling. We are on the phone with Douglas Migden, and we're talking transcontinental bike race today. Douglas, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot, George. Okay to call you Doug? Great. That's, that's what I prefer. Okay, great. Uh, transcontinental bike race, that is such... Uh, when I heard you had done it, I was really excited to get you on the show because uh, that race just conjures up so many images that I've watched clips of it on YouTube. It just looks fascinating. Well, it was pretty amazing. Uh, it was, uh, it was full of, uh, great scenery, hard climbs, uh, different cultures, really nice people, uh, big trucks and, uh, packs of dogs giving chase. So it was, it was a bit different, uh, self-supported from, uh, the Muir of Gerrit Bergen in Belgium to Istanbul. There were four checkpoints. Uh, the first checkpoint was the top of Mount Ventoux, which is about 1,000 feet in. The second checkpoint was uh, the Strada del Asiata, which is 40 kilometers of high mountain gravel in Italy. So there was a checkpoint in Sestriere. Uh, and then you had to do the parkour uh, of this uh, this. 40 kilometers of high mountain gravel on an old military road. And that was quite challenging. The organizer, Mike Hall, who's a pretty well-known endurance cyclist, I believe he won Tour Divide one year and uh, has the record for around the world race. Um, and very, very strong guy. Uh, he's a great guy. He and his partner, Anna, uh, are pretty much the organizers. And uh, they do just a tremendous amount of work. But this year, this is the third year that the Transcontinental has run. This year, he wanted to uh, put a little bit of uh, an extra challenge and try to get people on something other than the skinniest tire bikes. So he thought he would throw this 40 kilometers of gravel in. And it was quite the challenge. Uh, one guy supposedly had 10 flats, nine flats and one sidewall cut in the 40 kilometers. I was very fortunate I had one flat. Um, so anyway, so that was the second checkpoint. Uh, the third checkpoint was Vukovar, Croatia, which is northeastern Croatia, uh, war-torn, uh, war-torn part of Croatia. Uh, and this put us out of the tourist route on the coast of Croatia and uh, got us into the interior of the country and also made it so that for most of us, we had to go through Bosnia to get to the fourth checkpoint, which was the top of Mount Lovchin in Montenegro. 
uh, and you, you go to Kodor Bay on the Adriatic, and then you climb up uh, to Mount Lofchen, uh and it's a very difficult climb. Uh, at the top is uh, a uh, Prince Bishop, I think, I don't know if it's pronounced the name Negros, but he's buried in a mausoleum at the very top, and it's very steep. And then you, you think you've got it there because you've done the fourth checkpoint, but believe it or not, it's another 1,300 kilometers. To, to oh, my God. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so, uh, you, you really haven't, haven't done it by any stretch of the imagination. And... Uh, and it's quite challenging from there to Istanbul because uh, you go, depending on how you go, and I'll get to that in a second, uh, you either go through, uh, um, you, go, you go from, from Montenegro, you, you go uh, your uh, Albania, Greece, and then Turkey, or some people, I'm sorry, Macedonia, Albania, Greece, and Turkey, or some folks decided to go um, they decided to go Macedonia, uh, Kosovo, uh, Bulgaria. Actually, I think only one person did, only one team did that. But basically, the alternative was uh, if you didn't go through Greece, you basically went through Bulgaria. Um, and uh, what was very fascinating about this race was that the requirements were to go, uh, to go through all four checkpoints and then get to Istanbul, but you could, for the most part, pick any route you wanted. There were a few banned roads, uh, but uh, people could, for the most part, choose any route they wanted, and you didn't even have to do the checkpoints in order. Uh, there were also a few ferries that people could take from Italy uh, over to Croatia, a few ferries that were legal. Most people didn't take the ferry. A few did, and a few fast people took the ferry. But the winner, the winner didn't take the ferry, and so the advantages uh, are a bit um, uh, unclear. Uh, you can sleep on the ferry, but if you miss the timing of uh, when the ferry is going over, you could it could delay you. So it's a bit tricky. And now, and some folks like myself, I wanted to ride the whole way. Um, but but anyway, the point is, is that some people actually took a ferry went to the fourth checkpoint, and then rode north to Vukovar, Croatia, to the third checkpoint, and they actually sort of scooted through Serbia and then Bulgaria to Turkey. Um, one so, of the challenges... So how, <laughs> how do you come up with your navigation and your route if you've never been over there and scouted everything out? Well, uh, that's a good question. Uh, people were sort of encouraged to come up with their route by themselves, but it was it was legal to, uh, you know, get information from other people. You could, I actually, there was a small group of friends that I had from Slovenia and Italy, uh, people that I had met on a 2,200 kilometer in Italy called the, uh, uh, the Giro del, uh, uh, the Giro Ciclistico del Repubblica Marinera. And so my friends and I uh, actually, uh, Two of the other guys did more. One guy in particular did more of the route planning than I did. Um, but we had a small group, and we collaborated a bit. And uh, and it was very good for me because I'm not a, a route planning guy, and uh, um, it helped me a lot. But uh, my call to organizer is a very big uh, advocate of self-sufficiency and doing it all yourself and learning as you go. And uh, 
I don't necessarily agree with him on every point, but I have a tremendous amount of respect for, for him and, and his approach. And uh, there was no drafting allowed on this race unless you were in a pair. Pairs were allowed, and they functioned as a unit. No drafting, no outside support. Um, the only support you could have would be from commercial establishments along the way. So, for example, I took two GPS devices, I took two phones, I took two pumps, because technically you weren't allowed to borrow a bike pump from somebody. Uh, and, and my goal was to finish. Uh, I knew I wasn't winning anything. So it, it's different. So I know Mike Hall won the Trans Am bike race uh, last year. And it, it seemed to me when I watched the movie for the Trans Am bike race, uh, again, the rules were no outside help. Uh, but at the same time, it seemed like at least one of the riders got a lot of help from people along the road with some major mechanicals. Kind of a different spin from different race directors? or I mean, you can't even well, borrow a pump? A Right. That's a good question. I mean, so I guess your point is you can't get help from another rider, but you can get help from, you know, somebody along the road. Uh, it was legal to get directions and whatnot from people along the road. Uh, I think technically getting support from a private person along the road is, is not allowed. But, you know, you know, one of the things I give Mike a lot of credit for is, is that he doesn't want to be rigid about stuff. He wants to use some discretion. And you could argue, well, that's not really fair because you could, you know, one person could have one set of rules and another person another. But, you know, I, I must say that pretty fair guy. Well, and I was really impressed no. with Donica Cutrus from Ireland who put out on Facebook that he needed some help in the Trans Am last year, yet he policed himself and disqualified himself. Uh, there are no officials out in these events, so... You've really got to put your, well, I guess you've really got to focus on what you're doing and make that primary, obviously, but then you've kind of got to be trusting your other competitors to follow the rules. That's true, although Donica Kutris, if you look at the results for the Trans Am from this year, he actually was included, so that must have gotten sorted out. I know there was some banter back and forth on Facebook. Some people said that there, at least one person said that wasn't fair, and he was actually listed. Oh. Um, at the end of the day, the results came out recently for that race, and he was listed. But the results for the Transcontinental just came out, and Mike, uh, you know, he he seemed to be extremely conscientious. I would wager, I haven't discussed this with him, but I would wager he spent a lot of time pouring through everybody's route. We, we had spot trackers on the transcontinental. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we were, uh, you know, we had, we had satellite tracking and he, uh, you know, we were on track leaders and this was great because people could follow us. And he, uh, my, my guess is, I don't know this first fact, but my guess is, is that he looked at everybody's track leader route before he put out those results. And he actually, uh, put out some penalties which was interesting. I, did. I didn't know that I did anything illegal uh, per se, but when I looked at my result, I noticed that I had a one-hour penalty, and I wondered about that. I said, what was that for? And, and, I, and I had a suspicion I knew what it was for. And there was a road sign in France where it said no bikes. I think it was the N94 going from, the, from Mount Ventoux 
to the second checkpoint. It was actually, I think it was a, before the town of Briancon, but I'm not certain about that. I think Embram was the area. And uh, there's a road sign saying no bikes. And um, I, I didn't see that there was another way around, but apparently there was, and other people took it, and I didn't. And one of the rules was that you got to follow the local rules. And um, I, you know, some, not everybody may agree with Mike for giving out these penalties. Other people, I think, got three-hour penalties and two-hour penalties for going through illegal roads in uh, places like Albania. But, um, but you know, he wants to encourage people to follow, to follow the local rules. Uh, and I think that that's, I think that's a good thing. If you get, a, you know, 90 racers that, that violate the local rules, that's not so great for the race. Um, and I think that the transcontinental is just a, it was just a fascinating race. Uh, and, uh, I hope it has a very long life. Uh, you know, I had experiences on that race that I'll never forget that the kindness of, of strangers, so to speak, uh, I had a situation where I was going, uh, I was outside of Ljubljana in Slovenia. I was very tired. I pulled into a little fast food joint. Uh, the guys didn't really speak any English, maybe a few words. And I, I got some espresso. I said, can I just sit down here and sleep for a few minutes while this espresso kicks in? They said, sure. So, of course, you know, two hours later, they're waking me up. It wasn't two hours, maybe an hour later. They're waking me up, and, and the guy pulls out a bench, and he says, here, sleep here. And I said, is it going to rain? He says, no, it's not going to rain. So I woke up another hour or two later, pouring down rain. So I moved under cover. People were eating. I just slept on a bench. Nobody bothered me. I woke up about four hours later. Everybody was gone. The restaurant was closed. They had left me alone. Nobody bothered my bike. And uh, I rode off. I mean, really, really nice of these guys, you know, in their, in their restaurant. Um, in Bosnia. I, uh, I was looking for cover one night to sleep under. Uh, it's, it's always nice to sleep under an awning. And I, I found a chair in front of some tiny little store. And I just went to sleep. And uh, I woke up in the morning, and this, this uh, elderly woman came out and looked at me. And I can't remember if she said a few words in Bosnia or not, but I don't speak Bosnia. I speak a few words, actually, because I did some relief work there in 1994, but I really don't speak Bosnian, and she didn't speak English. And she just sort of looked at me and left me alone, and I was sort of waking up. And then the bread, the bread delivery man came by to deliver her bread. He looks at me, and he hands me three loaves of bread. Um, you know, he figured that I needed something to eat. Um, just gave it to me. And, and, and even the truck drivers. I sort of bonded with these truck drivers um, because they were driving big trucks on crappy roads, sometimes very steep. And, and uh, in contrast to some places in the U.S. where people will honk their horn and just blow you off the road, I had truck drivers, they would honk their horn way, way before they got to me just to warn me that they were coming. Um, not to tell me to get off the road, but to warn me that, hey, they're a lot bigger than I am, and, and they're coming. But at the same time, the trucks were very dangerous uh, in places like Greece and Turkey and Albania in particular. Um, and those packs of dogs were just scary. Some of us are still having nightmares about the dogs. And one guy got bit in Turkey, so... Uh, Rabies immunization series is not the worst thing to consider. Anyway. So this isn't like crossing state lines. You're going into a number of different countries. Any issues at borders? Uh, that's a great uh, question. I, I went through 12 countries. I crossed 11 borders. Uh, I rode in every country at night. And every country, I think, but Belgium during the day, which was just fascinating to do. 
talk to these border guys in the middle of the night. I didn't have any issues crossing any borders. And in fact, uh, the only country that I needed a visa to get into was Turkey, and it's an electronic visa, and they were very nonchalant about my visa, even. Um, you know. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Some people wonder, do they need a hard copy? Is a, is a copy of their cell phone okay? And, um, you know, they're not wrong. But there's one writer, I think he was actually the youngest finisher, I believe his name is Joe Todd, who wrote a report saying that when he was uh, getting towards the Macedonia border, he was pulled over, he was taken into a room, he was handed a bar of soap, and he was told to wash up before he could enter the country. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just, it just epitomizes this race. I mean, totally epitomizes the thing because you know there was no one, there was no support car. You know, another thing in contrast to uh, a lot of big events, uh, uh, this transcontinental race had, um, I believe, there were eighty-nine finishers in total. Eighty-nine people get from Belgium to Istanbul with no support cars, no outside cars, et cetera. There were two race cars. Uh, Volvo was one of the sponsors, and they donated a couple cars. So you had two cars. That was it. Um, and you had 172 starters. Uh, you had uh, 89 finishers. And it's just a, it's a real testament to uh, the organizers, uh, you know, putting on this thing because it's a great race, and and it's done, um, you know, in this. Uh, sort of fascinating, self-sufficient way that uh, well, there's a tremendous amount of, amount of work that's put into it. The resources are just very different than uh, other big events. And, you know, and cycling's a big tent. There's room for a lot of different approaches, but you know, you gotta, it's fascinating. You have to give them a lot of credit. So I, 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 so many people started. I don't understand how you drop out of this race because what do you do? You're out in the middle of somewhere where you're not very familiar with, where do you go? Well, you know, that's, a, that's an excellent question um, because, uh, you know, it's hard. Um, it's really, really hard. It's, it's, it's exponentially harder than anything I've ever done. And although I'm not uh, a racer other than the transcontinental race, I'm a randoneering guy. Um, I've done, you know, some big events up to 2,200 kilometers, and this thing was just so much more difficult. And, you know, I wondered about that. I said, what are these guys that drop out? How, you know, it, it could be more more work to, to, to drop out and find your way. Um, and I, you know, when I was in Albania, I took a very mountainous route to Albania. I said to myself, you know, if I have a bad mechanical here, I'm in big trouble um, because it's not going to be pretty to get out of here. Um, and, and, you know, 
surprisingly, there were, it's, it's unfortunate that there were people that dropped out uh, really close to the end. Um, the, the big trucks and the dogs, uh, you know, they were, they were intimidating. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, people would take buses. I guess there was, I don't know what other transport existed. Uh, you could always hitchhike. Uh, but, um, you know, uh, but the other cool thing is, is that even the people that dropped out, uh, from, from what I'm reading, uh, they, they really enjoyed this event and, uh, you know, really thought it was a great event. I'm sure that there were some people that didn't enjoy it and that didn't think it was, uh, as good as I thought it was, but, uh, I think most of us really enjoyed it and are, are really dedicated to this event as far as, uh, you know, thinking it's a good thing. Is it considered support to ride side by side with another person? Uh, you are kind of helping keep each other awake. Uh, it's definitely refreshing to have somebody to speak with every now and then. Well, that's another great question. Uh, Mike actually said, he said, you know, if he sees people riding for too long uh, with others, then, you know, they're potentially going to get put in a third category called assisted. So there were three categories. There was, there was a solo, uh, there were the pairs, and there was this uh, other assisted category, uh, you know, because you could argue that riding with somebody else was support, even though you weren't drafting, et cetera. I, you know, I didn't, I didn't ride with too many other racers uh, for more than, actually, for more than a couple minutes. Uh, the first night, a lot of us went out in the herd, and Mike said that he was not going to be too stringent on, uh, on penalizing people for that the first night kind of thing. I think it may be that extended in the first day. So the first night I was, I was with some other folks, and actually that was to my detriment because I, I uh, didn't look at my, uh, my track, and I sort of went out with the herd, and I got off route, and it added some kilometers. Oh. I got some bonus miles out of that, and that was a big mistake. So uh, maybe that was the evil genius Mike Hall and Abstentia um, saying, you see, you should have done it the right way. Uh, but I didn't get penalized for that because he said, even though it wasn't uh, it wasn't uh, encouraged, it would be tolerated, so to speak. But uh, but it's a good, it's an excellent point. However, I should say that when I got to Mount Von, when I got to the top of Mount Von Two, and climbing Von Two loaded was really really uh, interesting and difficult because I had done it a few times before, twice in one day, plus a bunch of other mileage in that same day, and I didn't think it would be that hard. And I was, uh, the night before, I'd slept in fields a couple times, uh, but then I went up this thing in the early morning to avoid the heat and loaded. Even though, you know, uh, you know there were only a couple of people that had panniers, most of us just had big saddlebags, maybe a handlebar bag, and a frame pack. It was hard. It was really, really hard. And um, uh, when I got to the top of Mount Von too, the people at the control said, you know what, the pairs people are telling me it. That they're doing nothing but fighting, <laughs> and so it was where you thought you, you would think that being a pair would be a big advantage. It wasn't. It wasn't necessarily so. From what I've heard, the, the, the pairs the pairs division was actually very very difficult, and there were not very many finishers in there. Right. There were. I think there were there were five pairs that finished, and at least one of those pairs I think formed in route. Um, so uh, you're entirely correct. The other thing is, is interesting and, and, and unfortunate is, is that uh, uh, there were some very strong women 
in that race. Uh, Juliana Buring had some knee problems at the beginning, dropped out. I think she's the fastest woman around the world. She won the Trans Am last year, and she was first in, the, I believe, the first transcontinental race. And Emily Chappelle, uh, they, have, they both scratched. There is one female finisher who was one of a pair. Um, and there were a number of other, uh, I think, Alina Stolomides, I don't know if I'm pronouncing your name right, she finished last year. And uh, I think her partner scratched, so she scratched with her partner. And I was, I think um, the female finisher, I think her partner on that pairs team dropped out and she ended up finishing alone. That's correct. Uh, I think her partner, Katie, got sick. You know, there were, this is the other thing about their, you know, their challenges like food poisoning. A um, number of people got food poisoning, uh, at least a few people in one particular town. Uh, in Greece, I think it was uh, Pavala. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing it correctly. And that was going to be my next question, was what were any nutrition issues along the way? Also, how many days did it take, and how much did you sleep? Well, uh, more great questions. I, nutritionally, it was, it was quite the challenge for me to get good nutrition. Um, I ate probably most of my food at, at uh, truck stop gas stations gas stations, and, uh, and I eat a lot of potato chips and a lot of ice cream, tremendous amount of ice cream, um, and, uh, you know, you, you ate what you could. I'm not a meat eater. I eat fish, but otherwise I'm a vegetarian, but that wasn't that much of a challenge. It's just that, you know, uh, there, there were restaurants along the way, and I would eat it some, but it was more convenient to eat at the gas stations uh, for me. And in retrospect, it might have been a mistake. Probably should have done a little bit differently. Uh, some people would hit the grocery stores, and they would carry food along the way. And uh, if I were to do it again, which I probably won't because it was just too darn hard, um, but if I were to do it again, I would probably uh, maybe uh, change my strategy for nutrition a bit because for me, it was 18 and a half days, a little, under, a little over 18 and a half days. Um, and uh, interestingly enough, uh, I was I was barely in the top 50% of all racers, but there were only 10 people that finished behind me. And the reason I was in the top 50% was because the scratch rate was a little over 48%. Um, so you, you can you can chuckle with that. Um, you asked about sleep. Um, uh, sleep. Uh, I probably uh, I rode through the night a number of nights. The nights that I slept probably half in hotels and half just. Uh, uh, in, in fields along the side of the road um, uh, or under an awning, you know, in a closed store, that kind of thing. Uh, you know, like, like randomers do, but this thing is just so long. Um, the winter finished in just under 10 days. The Lantern Rouge, the last guy, just under 34 days. That's another great thing about this race is that um, even though the controls will close down, you can self-validate. And you can, theoretically, you can take as long as you want. And I think that's a great thing. Because that last guy, he, he, he got, I can't say as much or more, but it almost seemed like, in some respects, more attention than the, than the winner. Because you're rooting for this guy. And you might say, well, it'd be easy to do this thing in 34 days. But you know what? It's hard out there. It's hard. It's hot. A couple of days when I was out there, it was 110 degrees. Uh, somebody else said, I think, I think Jane, the, the, uh, the female winner, I think she said it hit 48 degrees centigrade. 
and which is over, which is well over. I think that's over 114, 115, and it's hard. It would be really hard to be out there for 34 days. I cannot imagine being out there that long. I think that's incredible. Uh, so you know that that was really uh, that was a tough thing. Um, I, I think that the people that were faster stayed on their bike more. Um, I, I was probably off my bike too much. I took a fall in my B&D after Mount Mont 2, banged up my sacrum and pelvis a bit. That might have slowed me down a little bit, although maybe not as well. But maybe my, maybe my off-bike time was, was greater. But, but that's a big thing. You know, time in the saddle uh, is just so important. And uh, anybody who uh, is to do anything like this in the future you know, time in the saddle, you know, stay on the bike. And, and you guys who have done RAM and whatnot, you know that. But uh, sometimes we don't always realize how important that is, especially when you don't have a crew. There's no crew. There's nobody telling you, hey, do this, do that. As a matter of fact, Mike strongly discouraged uh, friends and family from, uh, uh, you know, telling you on the Internet. I think it was illegal to get coaching from the Internet. Uh, a couple couple guys that have helped me over the years, Mark Roberts, uh, Bob Rudvick in particular, and I had to tell them, I said, hey, you know, you can you can uh, say hi, but uh, no coaching when you email me or text me. And texting didn't work for me for some reason. You know, it's another challenge. You know, you got you got countries uh, in Eastern Europe, and communication can be spotty. Uh, you know, if you're interested, just a quick rundown. For example, the countries I went through the twelve: Belgium, France, Italy. Uh, uh, Slovenia, Croatia, Bosnia, Macedonia, Albania, uh, um, uh, Greece, and Turkey. I don't know if I left it. Montenegro. I think I left that one out. Um, you know, and, and, and some people went through Bulgaria. Oh, Serbia I left out as well. Um, oh, I have so them. many more questions for you. We've got to wrap up. Um, even charging your cell phone and your navigation equipment. I mean, that's got to be really difficult. You're staying on your bike as much as you can. Where do you find a place to charge up your equipment, your lights? Uh, my mind is teeming with questions, but we've got to wrap it up right now. <laughs> uh, well, I, I had a Dynamo, and I had a, uh, a USB charging device uh, called the Sinewave Revolution, which was uh, an incredibly uh, reliable piece of equipment. Um, not everybody had dynamos. Um, some people would take uh, uh, external batteries of varying size. My external batteries failed. Um, there were, people had a lot of equipment failures. Um, I can imagine. Uh, and that, that 40 kilometers of gravel shredded some tires. Uh, there was one guy, I think he placed, uh, he placed in the top five who was on a time trial bike, Alton Coil. And apparently, according to Mike Hall's, uh, well, I'm, I'm sorry, according to Jack Thurston, who wrote a blog for Brooks, uh, Austin Coyle shredded his tires on the Asiata. Um, and so lots of equipment failures. Uh, a lot of people, I think, ended up scratching because of equipment failures. One guy I know uh, got hit by a car, trashed his bike. He bought a new bike. Um, he ended up dropping out in Zagreb because he just was demoralized after being hit. Um so it was uh, full of challenges. Well, Doug Migdon, thanks very much for joining us on Over the Top Cycling, talking transcontinental bicycle race. And uh, I'd certainly like to have you back on in uh, a couple of months to talk about this more. You've got some great stories, I'm sure, that we could share. Well, I'd love to.
to join you again, and thank you so much for having me. And uh, again, uh, I'd like to thank my call on Anna, Anna Transcontinental. You guys were great. Doug, thanks so much. Really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. Thank you, George. Over the Top Cycling, Boulder, Colorado, I'm George Thomas. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.